Welcome in to News and Views with Tom Lamprecht. The stories you've heard and the ones you need to hear. The bipartisan infrastructure bill is moving along. They've been saying all along that this infrastructure bill was going to be, quote, paid for. Well, indeed, it's not. Too expensive to afford. In the schools, everybody should wear a mask. State law prohibits requiring students to wear a mask. Governor Cuomo should do the right thing, resign. What he did to me was a crime. Your life, your values, your voice. This is News and Views with Tom Lamprecht on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. All right, welcome in. It's News and Zoos. Uh, news and Zoos. <laughs> it is a little zooey around here sometimes. News and Views for a Monday, a new week. Um, you know, the last thing we said on Friday before we said goodbye was congratulations to the Greenville Tar Heel um, Little League 12-year-olds who beat West Virginia that day 4-3 to and uh, find out the next day they were sent home because they're saying that one of the players tested positive for COVID. You know, the more we're finding out about COVID and this Delta variant and how few people are passing away from it, it is, uh, and especially how it's not affecting kids, this is frustrating. The other thing that's frustrating is, and I don't want to say things that I'm not absolutely certain of, but I do know that when they're testing the coaches and these kids, they are just using a saliva test, which there's a lot of false positives coming back on the saliva test. So the, the Greenville Little League team could have been going to Williamsport. Each region has two teams that will go because there's no international teams coming this year. So there was a uh, there was a better than a 50-50 shot that uh, the Greenville Tar Heels might have made it to Williamsport, but instead they had to come home. Uh, they're not the only team. WTX, KWTX out of uh, Texas is reporting three of the eight teams in Waco, Texas this weekend for the Little League Southwest Regional Tournament won't be allowed to play because of COVID-19. Mississippi, East Texas and Oklahoma State champion teams were advised they may no longer active, uh, actively participate because of this uh, COVID test. The team members and their families have been informed. All appropriate health measures will be uh, help ensure individuals are cared for, blah, blah, blah. The game between Mississippi and New Mexico was supposed to have been played 4 o'clock on Friday. It was declared a forfeit. The coach of the Oklahoma team, who tested positive after submitting a saliva sample, following the team's arrival, said in a video on Facebook he had tested negative for the virus immediately before traveling to Waco from Oklahoma, from Tulsa area, and that he tested a negative at a local clinic immediately after taking the Little League uh, test. And uh, they said, too bad, you're gone. My understanding is there's been a lot of questions about the saliva test and uh, there's been a lot of questions about uh, apparently they don't even give you a second chance. If you come up and you test positive, you're gone. End of story. Which is really sad when you stop and think about this being a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for these kids and these coaches. Truly a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. We talked about Todd Zwicky, a professor at George Mason University, 
He teaches at the Antonin Scalia Law School. He is suing the university over the university's COVID-19 vaccine mandate, arguing that he has already contracted the coronavirus and believes he is protected due to natural immunity. I did get COVID, and now my college wants me to get vaccinated in order to do my job. And the evidence is clear on this, which is the natural immunity is at least as good as the vaccine, if not better. There is one Marty McCary, a professor at Johns Hopkins School of Medicine in Baltimore. He was recently in an interview and said individuals formerly infected with COVID-19 are seven times more likely than vaccinated people to fight off the virus. Seven times. In other words, if you've had COVID, your immunity is seven times stronger than the vaccination. So why then do they continue to insist that you get vaccinated? Zwicky was taught at the Antonin Scalia School of Law since 1998, filed a suit on Tuesday of last week in the U.S. District Court for the Eastern District of Virginia, arguing that the university's policy is unmistakably coercive and an unlawful mandate, according to Reuters. The complaint reportedly asserts that because he had the virus before and tested positive for COVID-19, antibodies were there, and there's no compelling governmental interest in overriding Professor Wiki's personal autonomy and constitutional rights by forcing him, in essence, to either be vaccinated or to suffer adverse professional consequences. The lawsuit also reportedly claims that Zwicky reiterated on Monday that his doctor told him that receiving the vaccine wouldn't give him any additional benefit and could expose Zwicky to a heightened risk for adverse side effects. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention recommends that those who have uh, contracted the virus get vaccinated because experts do not yet know how long you are protected from getting sick again after recovering from COVID-19. Well, they don't know that for the vaccine either. John Hollis, George Mason University's communication manager, said the university does not comment on ongoing litigation. Therefore, he didn't say anything. Anyway, we'll see where this goes. Dr. Nicole Sapphire discussed the natural immunity as a form of protection and argued that Professor is correct in his argument not to get the vaccine. She also slammed the CDC, saying it's embarrassing right now that the CDC is unable to have any data collection as it pertains to vaccine requirements for those who have antibodies, and yet the agency continued to move forward into this abyss and their blind view of things. Historically, the CDC has always accepted natural immunity as a form of protection when it comes to chickenpox, hepatitis B, measles, and others, Sapphire continued. The CDC needs to start getting on board. She said, how about following the science? And acknowledge that natural immunity is a legitimate form of protection. Next time you hear somebody say, I'm following the science, but you got to get the vaccination, even though you've had the disease, tell them to wake up. Town Hall is reporting everyone must wear masks, uh, masks again, even if you're vaccinated. You know, with this idea that you're going to wear a mask and you're going to protect somebody around you from spreading COVID. Well, A, the Delta variant isn't that bad. But B, uh, if, if it was that bad, 
Masks don't work. Masks don't protect you. That's like giving somebody a bulletproof vest that is made of wool and it won't stop the bullet. I mean, the idea that you're giving this false premise that, hey, wear the mask and everybody's going to be protected, it doesn't work. So you're actually making the situation worse, not better, because you're sending people out there and say, oh, you're protected. Town Hall goes on, the Delta variant doesn't make you sicker and it's not more lethal, but unvaccinated are the biggest group impacted by the new spike. We have three vaccines that affected the latest study on the Johnson & Johnson vaccine should calm the nerves of 8 million plus recipients who received that shot. It comes as everyone is talking about boosters. And then there's the narrative about breakthrough infections, the vaccinated who have contracted the virus. It's the reason why the mask mandates are back for everyone. And of course, this would cause a panic, which is why the media peddled it for days. Well, the CDC's own data undercuts the whole discussion about a return of a universal mask mandate. What's more is that CNN allowed this post to be published. Here was the post. More than 99.99% of people who are fully vaccinated against COVID-19 have not had a breakthrough case resulting in hospitalization or death, according to CNN analysis of the U.S. Center for Disease Control and Prevention's information. You get that? Again, this is from CNN and the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. 99.99% of people who are fully vaccinated against COVID have not had a breakthrough case resulting in hospitalization or death. And again, that doesn't mean that you couldn't get the Delta variant. And look, there are numerous people who have had the Delta variants and have had no clue because they're asymptomatic. I mean, we had asymptomatic people with the original coronavirus. But with this Delta variant, there's a lot more asymptomatic people. As of August 2nd, more than 164 million people in the United States were fully vaccinated against COVID-19, according to the CDC. Fewer than 0.001% of those individuals, 1,507 people, died, and fewer than 0.005-7,101 people were hospitalized with COVID-19. CDC last published data on the breakthrough cases through July 26. These latest figures include 938 additional uh, severe breakthrough cases, 862 additional hospitalizations, and 244 additional deaths. And again, I am not trying to sound callous for these people that are hospitalized and these people that are dying. But people die every day. And these numbers, when you compare these numbers to 164 million who have been vaccinated, and then on top of that, how many people have had COVID? So in addition to the vaccination the number of people that have antibodies. What is that number? There are some estimates out there. It's 85% of our total population. You're talking about, what, 250 million people out of a country of 330 million? So why then does do the liberals and the government continue to want you to be in a panic? Very simple. Look at the election. Look at, at the eviction moratorium. Look at the socialist garbage that they want to slam through. They think they can do it better if you're in a panic. 561-8255. Who do we got, Clark? John is uh, on the line. Hey, John, how are you, sir? I'm doing well today. How are you today? Uh, we'll make it. Yeah, we will. Um my question, you know, to the screener was, you know, have any of the vaccines been fully, 
you know, approved by the FDA. No. There's an emergency under, approval that they slammed it through, but so, no. So, so, so only under emergency approval, but they haven't been formally approved. Correct. How can any entity force you to participate in a study, a drug study, such as this, because essentially, until it's fully done, you're you're a participant in the drug study. Yeah. How I'm, can somebody sorry. like the governor of North Carolina force employees to get vaccinated or get tested every week? Well, you, I look. If, yeah, if you want to get tested every week, that's fine. But a, make sure it's a test where you don't have these false positives right. coming back. Right. But, but so, so my point is, is but either in, how can any employer, any employer force an employee to take an unapproved vaccine, unapproved medicine? Well, this without, is yeah, this is why and that's this, the problem I have with all of this is, is, you know, you, you, you know, you can't be forced into a study that's against the IRB review board. Well, this, this is why this, this is why this Todd's Wiki uh, case up at uh, George Mason is so important. Um, he's filed a lawsuit uh, against the uh, university. It's going to be interesting to see what happens. And again, yeah, and that, though, that's, well, that's the big thing is I hope he gets. I hope he um, we have a positive outcome because of that. Because they're you know being forced to do something, you know, on a on a whim of somebody, you know, and we don't even have full approval on any of the vaccines out is not it's not right. It's not ethical. Well, again, the, and his argument is because, you know, previous studies have said, or previous court cases, I should say, have said that you could uh, force someone to get a vaccination. But it, it, that, that's only been when there has been a compelling governmental interest in making sure that the vaccinations were given out so that, you know, th- these measles, chicken pox, whatever it was, would not spread. But... In this case, he is saying that there is no governmental interest that they, they, they uh, how did how did he word it? Um, uh, the lawsuit reportedly claims Wiki reiterated on Monday the doctors told him receiving a vaccine wouldn't give him additional benefits, um, but there was no compelling governmental interest in making sure that he had the vaccine because he had the antibodies. And so well, that's, even, that's how so he's approaching With or without the antibodies, my question is, is what the survival rate in general anyways? Well, again, that would go to the to the whole argument. Is there a compelling governmental interest in this? Yeah. Uh, because, I mean, you, you could have the government come in and say, well, you know, what? We're, we're just shutting down all the automobiles. We're not going to let anybody else drive because, yeah. uh, you know, the, you, we have too many deaths it's, from the automobile accidents. Yeah, mean, too dangerous. So therefore, we're going to shut it down. I mean, in fact, if yeah, you want I mean, to look at the, if you want to look at statistics, automobiles are worse than what we have right now with the Delta variant, and the deaths absolutely. right now from from COVID. So, yeah, good good point. Thanks for the call. Appreciate it. Uh, a judge ruled Sunday that the Norwegian cruise line can lawfully ask customers to provide proof of vaccination before boarding on one of its ships, dealing a blow to Ron DeSantis down in Florida. He had it passed the law, signed the law banning the vaccine passports. U.S. District Judge Kathleen Williams, a Barack Obama appointee, that's a shocker, uh, in the Southern District of Florida issued the ruling writing that DeSantis' law was unconstitutional under the First Amendment and jeopardized public health. She added the Florida Surgeon General Scott Rickfies uh, also did not have the power to enforce it. So, I mean, now, if you are in the Biden administration— and a court rules that you're not allowed to 
renew the CDC eviction moratorium. You just ignore the Supreme Court. So what should what should uh, Governor DeSantis do? Should he? I mean, this is a lower court, right? This U.S. District Court, Kathleen Williams. I mean, if, if Biden can ignore the Supreme Court, what does DeSantis do? Now, DeSantis, because he follows the rule of law, has filed an appeal to a higher court. But a great example. I mean, if you're a liberal, you just do what you're darn well pleased to do and just ignore what the law states. How we've operated as a country since the founding of our country. But DeSantis did what he should do. We're going to take a time out. We get back. Uh, there is some interesting uh, news on the state level concerning taxes and concerning redistricting. Yes, it is that time. We are going to redistrict, and uh, the Democrats would like to be in charge, even though they're not in charge. We'll have that when we get back. Back to News and Views. Talk 96.3 and 103.7. All right, welcome back in. It is going to be mostly clear tonight, a low around 72. Tuesday, mostly sunny. High near 90. Tuesday night, uh, partly cloudy, low 74. A slight chance of showers and thunderstorms coming in on Wednesday afternoon. Otherwise, sunshine and high in the mid-90s. So uh, hot, but lots of sunshine. The News and Observer is reporting legislative budget summer is in the House phase now, and the Chamber doesn't want to cut taxes as much as the Senate does, but they do want to cut taxes. Both chambers are Republican-controlled. Yeah, I mean, if they're Democrat-controlled, you think they'd be cutting taxes? The Senate passed its proposed state budget in June, and now the budget is in the House. The House budget is being rolled out in segments, and its tax plan was revealed in committee earlier this afternoon before the full budget is public. The House wants to reduce the corporate income tax, as the Senate does, but does not propose phasing it out to zero like the Senate wants. The House budget proposal does call for reducing the standard income tax deduction rate, but not as low as the Senate's plan. In short, both chambers want to cut your taxes and corporate income taxes, but don't get uh, they haven't been able to agree on the amount. The House budget proposes the individual income tax rate would be reduced from the current 5.25 to 4.99. That's less of a reduction than the Senate wants, which they want to go to 3.99. The House standard deduction amount would increase from the current 21500 to 25500 for married couples filing jointly. For single taxpayers, the standard deduction would increase from 10750 to 12750 If the House budget were to become law, it would start January 1, 2022. Representative John Soka in the House planned to lower the corporate income tax from the current 2.5 rate to 1.99 over two years. This would give North Carolina the lowest corporate income tax rate in the Southeast. He said the state competes regionally more than across the country for companies to come here. This is one reason I believe they continue to come here is because we have inviting corporate tax environment for the companies. And uh, we'll see where that goes. It looks like it's going to go lower. And then you'll have the governor veto it. Can they override the governor's veto? We'll see. Phil Berger's office released an interesting uh, statement and story today. North Carolina Dems, fair, quote, fair. This is what the Dems are proposing. It's called their fair redistricting proposal. 
Their fair proposal would give power to the Democratic majority organization and permit Democrat expert witness to draw the maps. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Now, again, take take it, go, go back just a decade or so when the Dems were in charge. Did the Republicans ever take them to court? They said, no, you guys are in charge. You're allowed to draw up the, the districts. And it was that way for, what, a good century. Now, Democrat Senator Ben Clark's bill, which he's introduced, I'm not going to go anywhere, by the way, but, I mean, it's almost humorous to see, to listen to this. Bill Clark's bill takes data analysis away from nonpartisan central staff and gives it to Democratic Party-controlled State Board of Elections. <laughs> now, again, remember, this is the same State Board of Election that is controlled by Democrats— who decided that Mark Ialis was just a genius and we need to go ahead and uh, do what he wants to do and we'll make decisions that were contrary to state law that was put into place by the North Carolina legislature. So they decided they were better than the legislature. They were smarter than the legislature. Look, they were liberals and they wanted to make sure that as much as possible, the Republicans would lose and the Democrats would win. I mean, I'm convinced they wanted to see what happened in other states like uh, Georgia and Arizona to happen here in North Carolina, and Joe Biden would prevail in that. Fortunately, they didn't get away with it. North Carolina Democrats are pushing a redistricting bill that would take power away from the legislature's nonpartisan central staff and give it to the State Board of Elections, which is controlled by a Democratic Party supermajority after government, uh, Governor Cooper sued to take full control. The proposal would also allow the Board of Elections to delegate map-drawing power to the Democratic Party's expert witness from the 2019 redistricting lawsuit. The legislature's nonpartisan central staff has been in charge of redistricting data analysis for decades. As a part of that work, staff performs a mathematical analysis consistent with a 2003 North Carolina Supreme Court decision to develop county clusters which are groups of counties that, based on population, can comprise legislative districts. Because of North Carolina's Supreme Court precedent, the county groupings are set in stone. They cannot be changed or altered. Senator Ben Clark from Hoke County, his proposal, which he described as fair and transparent. <laughs> How many times have you heard Democrats describe themselves, oh, we're going to be completely fair and transparent? When they say that, it's going to be unfair, and uh, you're not going to be able to see a thing. His fair and transparent proposal would transfer responsibility for developing county clusters to the Democratic-controlled Board of Elections. His proposal further allows the board to delegate all or a portion of the responsibility of developing a cluster map sent to the Department of Mathematics at Duke University who leads the Duke University Department of Redistricting Work, Dr. Jonathan Mattingly, whom the North Carolina Democratic Party paid as an expert witness to challenge Republican-drawn maps in 2019. Hmm. Oh, I'm sure that would be fair. Senator Warren Daniel, Republican from Burke County, who co-chairs the Senate Redistricting Committee, said, the Democrats' definition of fair is to rest away from a nonpartisan body and give it to a board they control and allow their own expert legal consultant to do all the work. This is a stunningly brazen ploy, even for a group that gerrymandered themselves into power for more than 100 years. 
<laughs> you can't make this up. And they're doing it with a straight face. I mean, they're, they're not only do they want to do this, but they would accuse the Republicans of, of doing something underhanded. They're fair and transparent. Republicans are underhanded. Even though the people of North Carolina have, Repub have, have elected a majority of Republicans to the state legislature. Therefore, that ought to be the Republicans. I mean, look, the Republicans are in charge. Elections have consequences. And again, go back for the 10 years ago and, and before. Republicans didn't take this to court. The Democrats did what they wanted. But it's, it's another form of how they try to use the judiciary to create law. 561-8255. Who do we got there, Clark? Robert's on the line. Hey, Robert. Yeah, how y'all doing today? Uh, doing well. How are you, sir? Look, I've, I've called in quite a few times. I really like your show. It's a shame that it's not a wider distribution than what it is. You oh, got well, thank some you, very sir. intelligent. You got some smart callers, like the guy that called in a few weeks ago with the word mule, most unqualified liars ever. He ought to make <laughs> T-shirts, okay? If he does, I'll buy a dozen of them. But let's, that's not why I call him. The reason I'm calling is you all are talking about the COVID situation. Uh, I've only heard one time on the news in the past couple of months, somebody mentioned the fact that the Chinese were responsible for the COVID and it was pretty much proven that there could be a class action suit with all the countries who've been involved and all the losses that they've had. Well, the fact is, if Donald Trump was president, that would have happened. And that is exactly why they wanted to get rid of him. The Chinese could not stand a class action suit worth trillions of dollars it would bring them to their knees. So, well, wait a minute. Let me, first right. of all, first of all, I, I mean, I, 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 I agree with the premise that they wouldn't want that. But how, how, how is how, how, how are you going to force the communists, uh, the the Chicom, to pay any kind of lawsuit, class action lawsuit? If, I mean, the, if, the, if the other countries just simply stop trading with them, more more than likely they would give in. Look, let's face it. I mean, you haven't got to be a brain surgeon to figure out. But wh well, why, why, are the, why are the countries trading with China right now? Well, they need the they need the the commerce. Well, they need the you commerce. Know. But why do the, the other countries could trade with other countries? The reason why they're trading with the communist China is because communist China basically has slave labor prices, and as a result, there are a lot of countries out there, including the United States, that in, enjoy buying stuff cheap. And uh, it's it's sad but true, but that's why they, they trade with them is because they, they want to get all those goods at a very, very cheap price. Well, we're all looking for a bargain. Like Grandma always said, get what you pay for. In the long run, it'll all come to fruition. And uh, I hope that it all works out for everybody, including the American people. And by the way, your station is one of my favorite stations. I listen to you guys every day before I go to work. And I really want to commend you for the fact that you're conservatives and you mention God a lot. God bless you and all the staff. You guys are great. I got to go to work. And thank you for well, the time. Well, you. you're very, very kind. You're very, very kind. Call in any time. Call in any time. You guys are you guys it. are great and keep it up to good work. <laughs> thank you, sir. Do appreciate it. Now I agree with what Robert's saying. Absolutely. But the well, I agree with what he's saying about how wonderful we are. But uh, <laughs> that's not what I was referring to. I was agreeing with what he was saying about China. But the problem is, I don't know how you would force China to to pay out anything. I, I just don't see it happening. I mean, you could have a lawsuit in every country in the world 
I think the only way they'd be brought to their knees is if they were. I mean, I'm I'm not proposing any kind of armed conflict over this, but I I just don't see them saying, "Oh yeah, we made a mistake here. Let us write you a check for a trillion dollars." I just don't see that happening, and I don't see these countries right now where we are today having the fortitude to say, "You know what? Even though it's going to cost us money, we're not we're not going to trade with communist China anymore." Um, I would like to see that happen, but I don't I don't I don't just don't see that happening. I mean, the other. You know, he he mentioned how we always constantly refer to uh, the Lord, and we do, because um, we think he is the one that's in charge of it all. What I would really like to see is another great awakening, as has happened a number of times. That's what I'm praying for, that um, we would we would get back to biblical principles as a nation, that uh, the Spirit would just come out in a mighty way to uh, to our country and around the world, and that we'd see another great awakening. We got to take a time out. Lots more to talk about, including um, some information about uh, Tara Reid and Joe Biden. And uh, eh, not real. Unfortunately, that's not going to go anywhere either with today's media. But we'll talk about it anyway. Uh, fairly conservative names in here as well, but um, but the usual suspects, the rhinos. I, I'm I'm very surprised that Tom Tillis. I wasn't. I, I thought Richard Burr would get behind this, but Tom Tillis. That's that's uh, surprises me. And I know a lot of people think Tillis is a rhino. Um, I wouldn't put him quite in the rhino. Well, maybe I would now put him in the rhino camp. But the uh, the bill, among other things, first of all, it has nothing in there. This is an infrastructure bill. There's nothing in there to protect the border. What is the biggest issue right now before the United States of America it is the border crisis. Isn't it interesting that, you know, Biden comes out last week and says, well, you know, the two biggest areas where or he said the biggest areas, he didn't say the two biggest areas, he said the biggest areas where you see the biggest influx of COVID is Florida and Texas trying to attack those governors down there that basically don't, you know, they're against the passports and we're not going to mandate masks and mandate vaccines and et cetera. Well, he, he tied Florida and Texas together as one. Well, the reason why it is high is because of the Texas border, where now they're saying it's, it's a good 20% of the people coming in are COVID positive. So there's nothing in there. The biggest, the biggest infrastructure crisis we have right now, not crumbling bridges and roads. We'd all like to have newer roads and newer bridges and et cetera, et cetera. But the biggest crisis right now is the border. There's nothing in there for the border protection. The bill has a pilot program, however, for technology that violates the personal privacy of Americans and their vehicles, including in the bill, there's a measure to track the miles you drive so you can pay a per-mile fee. We already pay that. It's called the gasoline tax every time you fill up. The bill also gives the Secretary of the Department of Transportation, Pete Buttigieg, significant powers to direct its funds 
It all but eliminates the current formula for distribution of funds and puts almost all the funding into competitive grants for the current DOT secretary, Pete Buttigieg. And and now look, are there, there, uh, and first of all, has the bill even been written yet? I don't think so. But we're still voting on it? I mean, it's it's concept, but you're going to give Pete Buttigieg, a, a flaming liberal, the right to dole out the money? And I mean, how... Who is he going to dole it out to? Where is he going to get to go? What projects is he going to go dole it out to? Is is he is everything that he doles it out to strictly dealing with transportation? So you got a you got an ultra liberal and you've got a one point two trillion dollar infrastructure package. The biggest guy for infrastructure overseeing infrastructure is Pete Buttigieg, and you're going to allow him to dole it out. Hmm. Yeah, that sounds real good. The bill also gives the Secretary of Department of Transportation uh, to direct the funds. Uh, what gets rammed down the throats of voters in these states to get the funds required to maintain their infrastructure? That's a great, that's a great question out of PJ media. So if he gets to decide where it goes and who gets it, what do you have to do to stand in line? I I mean, if, if you don't have the vaccination, you don't get any money for infrastructure. If uh, you would have, I mean, in in this day and age, uh, you know, if, if we had the, the, what was the bathroom bill? If that was still in consideration, would we not get any money? I guarantee you it will be tied to those kind of things. The bill centralizes power in D.C. under the ever-growing bureaucracy and an agency that has presided, presided over complete uh, degradation of our infrastructure throughout the central planning, much like the Department of Education has presided over decline in performance in America's public schools. When the Democrats are, I mean, just go go look at the cities where the Democrats are in charge and ask yourself, what kind of job are they doing there keeping the cities up? They're rotting. They're falling apart. And and now let's put them in charge of uh, this $1.2 trillion. I mean, in all honesty, what it should, if if you're going to have it, figure out how much each state gets, hand it over to the state legislature, and let them spend it. Nope. Not, not, not when the Democrats are in charge. They've got to control every penny. We're not going to let, we're not going to let the, the people of North Carolina actually decide how to spend the money in their state. I understand you'd have to have certain parameters and what they'd spend it on. They'd have to spend it on infrastructure projects. But, I mean, I, I didn't even get into the new Green Deal garbage of this, which is in there as well. The... Um, there's an organization called Times Up. It was a hashtag Me Too kind of organization. Times Up co-founder Roberta Kaplan has resigned from the organization after an investigation into Andrew Cuomo found her helping Cuomo discredit accusers. Robbie Kaplan, board co-chair, uh, co-chair has stepped down from the board. Time's up, said in a press release earlier today. We and she agree that it's the right thing to do. We hold ourselves accountable. The Time's Up statement continued. The events of last week have made it clear that our process should be evaluated, and we intend to do just that. We need more transparency about our vision of change-making, and we need a more inclusive process to engage the broader survivor community, many of whom have spent years doing the noble work of fighting for women. Now, you know, you haven't been fighting for women. You've been fighting for liberal women who have accused conservative men. That's what you've been fighting for. 
A report on the investigation released Tuesday, a week ago, said that Kaplan and Time's Up co-founder Tina Tinch helped Cuomo's team craft an op-ed discrediting accuser Lindsey Boylan. The op-ed denied the legitimacy of Ms. Boylan's allegations, impugned her credibility, and attacked her claims as politically motivated. The woman was a Democrat, (laughs) according to the New York Attorney's General report. So if it's a liberal man that's being accused, you're going to attack the accuser. That's basically what this Time's Up is all about. They accuse her of being political when she was a Democrat? You're nothing but political hacks. Joe Biden's accuser, Tara Reid, told the Daily Caller News Foundation that Jen Psaki last week misled the public and lied when the White House press secretary said that hashtag MeToo allegations against the president were heavily litigated during the campaign. I said this last week. They weren't litigated at all. And uh, Tara Reid has said the same thing. Saki said that's long been his policy. That was heavily litigated during the campaign. I understand you're eager to come back to it, but I don't have anything further to say other than that he has called for the governor of New York to resign. Reed particularly took issue with Saki's word litigated. There's been no litigation. There's been no investigation, retold the Daily Caller. It's a lie. That's misleading. She should take that statement back. Well, don't hold your breath there, Tara Reed. Uh, She also went into the details of what Biden did to her, which I'm not going to repeat because they were rather graphic. We'll leave it at that. Vogue has published a glowing feature on Jen Psaki. Vogue magazine came out today. And what's curious about this is you had Kelly McEnany, Stephanie Grisham, and Sarah Huckabee, three female press secretaries for Donald Trump. Vogue magazine did nothing. Now, they they usually do come in and do features on females that have predominant positions in the White House. They've done that for years. They, They suddenly disappeared when Donald Trump was in there. They come back now and do this puff piece on Jen Psaki. You wonder where they're coming from? I think that answers your question. Stay with us. We got to take another time out. We'll be right back. A collection of question marks. There's a lot of questions. Why? How? No logic, no reason, no explanation. Just a prolonged nightmare. Worst nightmare of their lives. This long nationwide nightmare. We'll start collecting clues as to the whys, the what's, and the where's. Neighborhood by neighborhood. Literally knocking on doors. This is your worst nightmare. The nightmare. It would be a nightmare. Worst nightmare. We will not end the nightmare. We'll only explain it. Explain to us. Because this. This. This is News and Views with Tom and Benny on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Welcome back in. On our face, our, our, no, our website, not our Facebook page. Well, you can probably get to it through our Facebook page. Um, our website, encnewsandviews.com, and uh, kudos to our producer, Clark Willis, who just keeps it up to date, does a great job on that. Um, he has posted an article, which I sent over to him earlier today. It's an op-ed by a young man by the name of Eli Steele. He is the son of Shelby Steele. You've probably heard of Shelby Steele. 
very conservative um, black gentleman and um, has been around for years and years and years. It's called Bad Faith. And this take the time to read this. It's about a five-minute read, and there's also a video you can watch. You can actually listen to the article if you want. You can hear Eli, Eli Steele basically tell you what happened because it's a story of him going to, as he's doing a documentary, going to interview a pastor in the Chicago area, a, a black pastor in an area of Chicago that's rather tough and rough. And the the points that Eli Steele comes out with just decimate critical race theory. Bottom line is critical race theory is really more of an invention of uh, was the result of liberalism and white liberals, white elite liberals who still think that somehow they've got to be the nanny for the uh, black population of the United States. It's called Bad Faith. Go to ENC News and Views and read it or, or watch it if you would. Uh, PJ Media is reporting on Barack Obama's 60th birthday bash. It was supposed to be uh, calm down. I mean, first of all, who, who has the money to invite 500 people to your birthday bash? Who has the money to even have a facility big enough to host 500 people? Uh, but, uh, by the way, uh, you, you taxpayers up in uh, Martha's Vineyard, uh, you, you probably spent a lot of uh, tax money on that as well for police and whatnot. But um, guess what wasn't there? There's a lot of people there. There's a lot of bands there. There's a lot of entertainers there. All the hoi polloi, uh, hoi polloi of liberalism was there. But guess what was not there? There was no face masks there. There was no social distancing there. They weren't supposed to take pictures. This transparent administration, the Obama administration, he said he'd be most transparent in history, right? Uh, he didn't allow any videos or photographs to be taken, but a few people decided that they would, and they did, and they posted them, and before they could be taken down, there was plenty of evidence that there was no social distancing and no masks being weared. Yeah. <laughs> you ain't kidding. Hey, we'll do it again tomorrow. We'll see you then. Bye bye, everybody. All right, all right, all right.